You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for nearly the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, how you doing this week? The kids are back at school. It appears that spring may have finally and officially sprung here in the frozen north of Montana. How are you handling it? Well, let me tell you, yesterday... I gave in to my children's demands for me to take the trampoline out of the garage and put it back together now that the, the weather is warm enough to get out there and do some jumping. And, you know, it's been spring break, all that stuff. They, they lose track of the days. What yeah. day is what and what's going on. I put up that trampoline in the afternoon. They jumped on it until it was time to come inside and be forced to take a bath and eat dinner. And then the last thing my oldest daughter said as I put her to bed last night was, I'm going to jump on that trampoline all day tomorrow. And I had a moment where I was like, do I tell her? Do I tell her that tomorrow is Monday? That spring break is over? That you're going to be in school? And I was like, you know what? I got to tell her. I can't. It's it's going to be bad now, but it's going to be worse if she wakes up in the morning and be like, all right. Let's get let's get to that loafing around, jumping on the trampoline, whiling the day away. I had to tell her, be like, no, man, you're going to be in school tomorrow. Yeah. And then I, as I closed the door, I just heard, no. <laughs> it, it was a rude awakening over here as well, man. My children were in a state this morning as we tried to get them ready to race out and jump onto the bus. It's, I mean... You gotta, I guess you gotta reckon with the, the idea that as a child, spring break probably seems like it's a month long. Yeah. Right? You just lose track of everything. You forgot your old routine. You forgot what it was even like to go to school. Then all of a sudden, bam, like a two by four straight across the face. You got to get up at one morning and you're back at the old grind. It's, it's rough, man. I, yeah. I, I empathize with them. Bam, like the open hand of Will Smith. Oh, well, we got that. See that? We got, we got topical. more. Very topical. We got we got some <laughs> more talk of uh, of Will Smith slapping the shit out of Chris Rock at the Oscars last night coming up on today's co-main event podcast. Don't you worry about that. I know everyone tuned in and was like, oh, man, if they don't talk about Will Smith slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars, I swear to God, I'm going to be so pissed. But don't you worry. The beloved listeners yeah. of the Co-Main Event Podcast took care of that for you and sent us some listener mail this week. See, I, I knew they would. As soon as I saw that shit happened, I was like, oh, man, that's crazy. And then I paused, and it was like I could hear the tap, tap, tapping of a listener mail email being sent to the podcast on this very subject. I knew it was coming. I knew. And they didn't let us down. No, they did not. Reminder, you're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast proper. Don't forget to go out and follow us on Instagram at CME if you nasty and like us over on Facebook at facebook.com slash co-main event. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. And if you think we're having fun right now, you got to go check us out over at patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben Folks and I are over there with three additional podcasts every single week. It's the Wednesday live chat, Thursday doing the damn thing and Friday 
the Power Hour, which always gets you teed up for a weekend of mixed martial arts action. Ben, we don't talk about it a lot on the proper, but one of the perks that you get if you join the Co-Main Event Podcast Patreon is that you get access to the communal Co-Main Event Podcast Scorpion Bolo tie. Yeah. You got a a formal event coming up. You want to look sharp. You send us a message. You say, send me the bolo tie. We drop it in the mail. You get it. You put it on. You wear it to whatever formal event you got going. You're the envy of the entire room. You knock everybody dead. It's a nice thing that we do. This past week, the Scorpion Bolo tie pulled off its most ambitious and razor thin turnaround yet, where we had one patron go into a destination wedding, traveling from Iowa to Hawaii and back, and another patron traveling from Texas to California for his own destination wedding. Just, we had to get this thing in the mail on a tight deadline, and I'm happy to say we pulled it off. The CME Communal Scorpion Bolo tie just putting smiles on faces all over the damn world at this point. Yeah, could we? Do we arrange for like a drop at the the L.A. airport? Do we put I mean, it in a, in a locker, like in Get Shorty or something. Basically, that's basically what we had to do. It was some heist slash hijinks type shit, and we got it done. So, if you want access to all of the additional content plus the Co-Main Event Podcast Communal Scorpion Bolo Tie, head over to Patreon.com/slash/CoMainEvent and sign up. Join the team over there. It's a lot of fun. The people seem to love it. This week, we got music from longtime listener James, a.k.a. the Funk Soul Brother, a retired amateur MMA fighter and hip-hop producer. He lives in Seoul. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more at Instagram.com slash FSB Beats or YouTube.com slash C slash Funk Soul Brother Beats. And just to carry on the grand tradition of having to spell at least one word in the name of all of the musical acts we feature here on the podcast, we should note that the word soul in Funk Soul Brother is spelled S-E-O-U-L, as in Seoul, the place where he lives. Three rounds, as usual this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, Curtis Blades hammers Chris Dacus out of contention in the heavyweight division and starts booking interim title fights for himself. You love to see it. And in round number two, so maybe intrepid journalist Brendan Schaub didn't totally nail the details during his breaking news report on this Chael Sonnen Las Vegas assault story. New shit has come to light, as Jeffrey Lebowski might say. And this new shit, if true, is pretty troubling, pretty troubling. And in round number three, you ever start thinking about how good Demetrius Johnson is at fighting? And then it kind of makes you mad. Demetrius Johnson is better at fighting than any of the rest of us are at any one single thing that we do. Whatever you're best at, chances are Demetrius Johnson is better at fighting. Shit is fucking ridiculous. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time. Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by our old pals at Fulton and Rourke. Ben, we talked about it last week, but we are excited to have the greatest single sponsor in co-main event podcast history back with us in Fulton and Rourke. One of the owners over there, Kevin, is a patron of the show over on Patreon. Uh, big supporters of the co-main event. We, it's a joy, frankly, to do advertising spots here for Fulton and Rourke. I wanted to talk just for a minute this week about a couple of the products that are new, or at least new to us since the last time we did ad spots for Fulton and Work that I am personally using. One of them 
is the brand new Fulton and Rourke deodorant. If you're down with aluminum free deodorants, you're going to love this one. It glides on smoother than most. Doesn't have that skin irritating chemical like baking soda. And somehow it works really, really well. As a bonus, they're also refillable. So if you use them, you can get a new uh, deodorant filler and sent to you and you get use about 67% less plastic every time you refill rather than replace one. I'm telling you what, as soon as I got this stuff in the mail, my old deodorant went in a drawer and the new deodorant from Fulton and Rourke is all I wear. I'm wearing it right now. I'm surprised you guys can't smell me. The other thing, the Formula 5 oil, it's a sneaky cool product. It's not just great as beard oil, but just work two to four drops into your hair and it will give your hair a nice healthy glow, you know, knock down that flyaway frizziness, but it won't look like you got product in there. I know, I know that the flyaway frizziness is a big concern of yours. I've heard you mention that on several occasions. I'm not wearing it right now, but I'll I'll tell you, I guarantee on Saturday night when I went out on a date with my wife, I was wearing it, knocking everybody dead. I might as well had the communal scorpion bolo tie on. That's how good I was looking. Just walking around, calling everybody else. You see a bunch of sweat hogs. Exactly. They, were, they they wanted to take offense, and they were like, "Well, that guy he just smells and looks so damn good. He he you, he has the right to call us sweat hogs. In his eyes, we are sweat hogs." You put the Formula Five oil in your hair, you turn into Ric Flair <laughs> automatically. CME listeners can save fifteen percent on their first purchase with the coupon code "If You Nasty." That's all one word. So go over to FultonandRourke.com and check out all of the wonderful shit they have over there for sale. First question this week comes to us from Trevor Finch, who writes, What an absolute war. Matt Brown stepped into the octagon looking like a man that has seen too many winters. I had concerns. That said, he put on a show, took a ton of punishment, and still came forward and handed out his own pain. Is Matt Brown a contender for King of the Old Guys Club? Uh, Matt Brown, of course, drops the split decision to Brian Barbarina in an out-and-out welterweight pirate fight. Yeah, at this UFC Fight Night event in Columbus, Ohio, Nationwide Arena over the weekend. These guys rightfully won Fight of the Night honors. This was exactly what we thought it was going to be, especially in round three, when both these guys kind of threw caution to the wind and were just letting it all hang out there, trading hard-ass elbows from the clinch, punching each other in the face, the blood flowing. Uh, this, this was just a hell of a fight and uh, didn't disappoint, fulfilled my expectations in every possible way. Uh, would have been nice, I guess, for Matt Brown to get the nod there as a, a home state guy in Ohio. But Brian Barbarina gets the nod here. And uh, I don't know. I don't see how you could have any negative things to say about either of these guys out there after this one. Well, yeah. And the crowd booed Brian Barbarina for winning the split decision. I mean, I, I get it. They were booing the decision that Matt yeah. Brown was their guy. They thought he deserved to win the decision. And this was one of those fights that really could have gone either way. Uh, but... Brian Barberino, while getting booed, first tries to appeal to the crowd's love of a blue-collar guy, saying like he's a blue-collar guy just like the rest of you. And then when that doesn't quite win them over, just brings a message of love, brings a message of love before he has to return to his farm with his animals. And by the end, you felt like, man, if you're still booing, if you're still booing through all that, check yourself. You know, maybe look inward. Maybe, yeah. Maybe think about what's going on with you. That makes you filled with so much hate because I don't see how you get mad at the guy. They both, it takes two guys to put on a fight like that. I, I wondered though what you, what you made of the decision, first of all, but also I saw Matt Brown's comments after the fight where he said, you know, I thought I did enough in those first two rounds that I thought I had it. And I kind of laid back a little bit in the third round because I thought I already had it sewn it up and basically didn't want to go out there and 
gas out, get knocked out, get finished, something like that. And then I saw people, you know, remarking, here we go, maybe here's another case for open scoring that would it have changed everybody's strategy if you heard the scores and you heard like, okay, this shit's still up for grabs headed into the third round. Because I could see how with his takedowns and some of his control and everything that Matt Brown might have thought, okay, I got both of those. Because Brian Barberina's corner seemed to think Matt Brown had the first one at least. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Mark Holman did as well, right? Uh, over there in, in Matt Brown's corner. I was, and Mark Holman going to let you know. You're going to hear Mark Coleman when he's yeah. in your corner. That's what I like about him. You are. First of all, you're right. This was a hot crowd all the way through the event here in uh, Columbus, Ohio. And you can't hate on them too much for cheering for their their guy. You'd like to show him, to see him show a little bit of uh, reverence and respect for Brian, Brian Barberina there at the end. But uh, I think you're right. This was one that could have gone either way. I was a little bit surprised that Matt Brown didn't get the decision considering he was the hometown guy, but that doesn't necessarily mean I thought he won. Like I thought you could have given this to either guy, uh, you know, maybe like a, uh, a U nine girls soccer game. It's a shame that we couldn't have two winners here during this one because both these guys put on put on a hell of a show i'm not necessarily mad at the decision it stinks that one guy has to lose after a fight like this and it stinks even worse that that dude has to be matt brown but it's also impossible not to be happy for a guy like brian barbarina who has been a fan favorite and an action fighter and a guy uh, who has worked himself into a position in the ufc where he is a known guy which have as we have talked about Time and time again, in today's climate, if you are just a middle-of-the-pack welterweight like Ryan Barbarina is, that's something, man. It is something to be a guy who has put yourself in a position where people know your name, we know your look, we know your fighting style, and you're going to be on the main card of these fight nights, even though you're not necessarily knocking on the door of contendership. So bravo to him for all of that. It is kind of interesting, I think, Ben, that after this event, Brian Barbarina revealed that he has fought out his UFC contract, yeah. which seems to be becoming more and more common as we move forward guys and uh, girls out there fighting out their ufc contracts either taking a run at free agency or in brian barbarina's case says he might retire from mma if the ufc can't make him an offer that he feels like is lucrative lucrative enough for him to come back now whether or not that means brian barbarina is just done fighting or that's an end around to try to get himself into a you know, bare knuckle situation or a uh, Eagle FC situation. I don't know, but I think it's interesting to see more and more of these people kind of uh, fighting out their contracts instead of taking what had become in the history of, of the UFC kind of like automatic extensions or extensions you had to sign in order to get the fights you wanted. So that's, right. that is a subtle, but interesting shift, I think, in how fighters are handling their careers at this point. Right. And it's been a shift a few years in the making, but one of the reasons that I think you see people doing this more is that it, it has become, as the kids like to say, normalized. We went and normalized fighting out your UFC contract because you remember back in the old days, especially the Joe Silva days, Man, if you announced your intention to fight out your contract, they were not happy about that. The UFC was not happy about it, and they were going to let you know. And we saw a lot of times where guys were sort of either buried on the prelims, given a tough fight, the kind of fight where if you win, so what, and there's a high chance that you won't win, just not doing you any favors on the last fight of your contract. And here, Brian Barberina in the last fight of his contract gets Matt Brown in Columbus on the main card. And... Yeah. You know, not a not a, a bad matchup, a, a fun style matchup for everybody. One where he gets to do his stuff, gets to fight the hometown guy, and comes away sitting pretty good if he if he is actually thinking about free agency. Because 
you know, we at least hear that B- the bare knuckle FC people are paying big money. Doesn't Brian Barberina seem like he would fit in well there with what they're trying to do? Yeah, he does. And he's at that weight where they have several guys he could fight too. Yeah. Uh, which would be interesting. So yeah, I'll be watching to see what happens with Brian right. Barberina. What about 41 year old Matt Brown? Uh, you know, he is, he has flirted with walking away from the sport a couple times here, but he, you know, he's come back, he's out there, he's throwing down, he's winning fight of the nights. I don't know, man, Matt Brown seems like one of these dudes that is just going to kind of keep fighting forever. And at this point I don't hate it. Like he, he's out there against uh like-minded competition, his peers, I think you could say in ability, if not age. And like, he doesn't look shot or lost or like he can't hang anymore. So for the time being, I'm actually totally okay with Matt Brown out here uh, throwing down with these hitters. It honestly kind of threw me into a little bit of a uh, existential despair to find out that Matt Brown is 41. Just because I remember when Matt Brown was a, a new young pup on the scene, you know? Yeah. And now he is that grizzled vet. But honestly, makes a case for there being different ways to go about this sport and how I think he's like three and three in his last six, if you look. And yet Matt Brown's still a guy. He's still mm-hmm. a known guy, a guy we we are gonna notice and and take note of every time he is on a fight card. Everybody knows his name at this point. You know what to expect from the guy. And he doesn't win them all. Doesn't have to win them all because he's always going to give you a good fight when he shows up there. And it just is a, a recognizable brand unto himself at this point. A certain hard assery that we have come to know and expect and love out of Matt Brown. And it just goes to show you that you there are different ways to forge a viable career in this, even if it gets harder and harder as it gets harder and harder just to stand out and be remembered. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from Dirt Dog, who writes, how about that Kai Kara France handing Oscar, ask me anything, Oscarov, his first loss? Wasn't that something? I thought it was. Now, Ben, not to go into business for myself here, not to put myself over too much, but on Friday, when we were recording $20 We Never Want to See Again, our weekly uh, betting competition segment that airs on the Power Hour over on the Patreon page, I said, I'm not going anywhere near... Kai Kara France versus Oscar Oscarov, and I'm not going anywhere near Sarah McMahon versus Carol Rosa because Kara France and McMahon were both underdogs heading into these fights. And I said, that's two fighters that will mess around and fuck up your parlay. And they both won. Well, so I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Here's where I have to put myself over and point out that I did put Sarah McMahon in my parlay with Neil Magny and that shit hit. There so you go. There that you go. was like five bucks to win 18 and change or something. So I'm, I'm not too displeased with that. But all the sharps are listening to $20. We never want to see again at this point. What did you think of Kai Car France going out there? I think he's like plus 370 at fight time, taking care of Oscar Oscarov, handing him his first loss via unanimous decision in a uh, in a flyweight fight here. Well, and if you see. The first round where he basically ends up wearing Oscar Oscarov as a backpack for the entire five minutes or, or more or less, you probably come away from that round going, yep, that's why. That's why the odds are so tilted in one guy's favor. And then, you know what? Like, honestly, he figured it out as they went. I, I was impressed. He he figured out not only how to uh, 
stop more of the takedowns from coming his way by just giving Oskarov more to worry about, pushing him backward and making him more concerned about the striking, but also in defending the takedowns pretty well when they did come. And it's that's another one where it's a tough one to score in some ways because it asks you, you know, what do you what do you value? Do you value sort of one-off shots landing that seem like they hurt? Do you value uh, more control and grappling exchanges? But I think that the, the problem for Oskarov was he ended up getting into a situation in those last two rounds where he couldn't just shoot like crazy. And so therefore he ended up giving uh, Kai Car France more opportunities to go on the offensive. And yeah. when he when he did, you know, everything Kai Car France did, even when he would lunge in with shots and miss, he's there, there's no way for you not to notice what he's doing. You can see it from the cheap seats. It's not like the the little intricacies that you're relying on from some other fighters and the judges don't always get that. Judges like to see guys making big bold movements and that's what he was doing. Yeah. Uh Bisping and Cormier commented on it during the broadcast but at one point you know second or third round of this thing you could kind of see Oskarov get a look on his face like well shit <laughs> like this this is not going the way we drew it up on the on the whiteboard in the locker room this is uh three in a row for Kai Car France he's won four of his last five his UFC losses are a unanimous decision to Brandon Moreno who is a fellow you should know at this point uh, and he got caught in a choke by Brandon Royval at UFC 253 other than that he has won them all and in the last three uh, he is kind of you know he fought Cody Garbrandt at UFC 269 so maybe maybe he was the favorite there but like maybe he wasn't the story he seems like a spoiler at this point. Like Kai Car France is not necessarily a guy you want to fight if you are trying to go places uh, in this division. And I got to say, I know this isn't going to be considered a news flash by anyone, but these city kickboxing guys, man, they always show up ready to fight with a good ass game plan. They're tough and they go out there and execute and you know, they don't always win, but, uh, Hats off to the to the fellas down there at this point who are are doing good things and Kai Car France now creeping up sneakily sneakily creeping up into something resembling top contender status at 125 pounds if we ever get into a situation where we're not just going to have a 24 hour cable news channel where Davison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno are always just on there fighting. Yeah, well, I mean, you saw Figueredo after this one trying to call out. Uh, Kai Car France for a fight and it was like mm, I don't know man I think you already have some something on the books that yeah. you got to think about but he didn't seem to hate the idea of doing it with the guy and you could see how he'd look at that guy and be like mm, me and that dude could have a fun fight people would get into it I would yeah. watch it all right next question this week comes to us from Isaac Eldridge here it is can we get a breakdown of the Will Smith Chris Rock showdown at the Oscars as it relates to the poppy steak incident. I feel like I need to enroll <laughs> in a media studies program some, somewhere just so I can write a thesis on these hilarious shenanigans. Uh, <laughs> everyone knows what this is about at this point. I don't know that we need a breakdown. Uh, I have two things to strike me immediately. Dis, despite, uh, aside from the fact that this happening has unleashed a firestorm of capital all caps takes mm -hmm. online, just like you knew it was going to. I guess my takes right off the top are number one, maybe you, if you're an award show, you don't need a guy to show up and do shitty insult comedy anymore. Like maybe we don't need that. That became a thing for a while. And it's kind of like the Oscars are going to be like, 
well, we need a, a an insult comedian to come in and make fun of everybody and make it like a roast to, to kind of diffuse the idea that we're just out there uh, going crazy with this uh, navel gazing and we're yeah. all patting huge. ourselves on the backs. Right. They're like, we're also, we're not taking ourselves too serious because we're going to have Chris Rock come in and burn everybody while the whole thing is going on. Uh, well, maybe you are taking yourself too serious because then you got Will Smith gets up there uh, and, and slaps the guy. My second thing is, I honestly kind of don't care what the reason is, but if you ever get yourself in a situation where you're slapping a 57 year old man, who's half your size because he hurts your feelings with his joke. And on top of that, he doesn't even move. He takes this slap and his whole, his whole response is, is basically really, yeah. really will you can come up here and slap me slapped a 57 year old man. Now, Will Smith is 53. So they're kind of in the same age group here, but don't slap a 57 year old man on television for telling a joke you didn't like. And then he just eats it. And stares at you. That's not the alpha move that you think it is, man. I swear it's not. That's not a good look. Yeah. Also, you're going to slap him for a joke that he probably didn't even write. You know, it's, you know how these things go at like award shows. It's not like we're, we're asking Chris Rock to come up here and just burn everybody of his own accord. There's probably some people out there handing him some notes being like, hey, what do you think about this one? How about we go do this one? And he's going to go out there and do it. In the understanding that it's all in good fun. Yeah. Like he, I mean, we, the, yeah, we've set a standard at this point that you can get up there and roast people and no one will cause you grievous bodily physical harm for doing it. So, like, if anybody broke the social contract here, it's Will Smith. Not to mention, it has to be said that it feels like for the past year and change, a publicist has been hard at work making sure that nary a month goes by that we don't learn some new detail that most of us probably didn't want to learn about the private lives of the, the, the Smith family. Like, it seemed like for a while there, there was a new tidbit in the news all the time about their marriage. And I was just, and again, you know how those people say it on the internet? Everything I learned about it, I learned against my will. And so... With all that floating around, then he goes up and makes a pretty innocuous joke. And that's the one you want to walk up and slap somebody about. But also, if you are going to walk up on stage at a time when it is not time for you to be on stage at an award show and slap somebody, it came off about as clean as you could hope for it to, you know, like the slap landed. He just got up there. It wasn't like an awkward thing where like people were trying to hold him back or anything. He just walked up there, slapped him, then turned around, Chad, went back to his seat. Yeah. Sat down and then just just like, I will enjoy the rest of the show now. Like that's, that's how you, I guess you know that you are a celebrity because I don't think I would have been able to make it up on the stage to slap Chris Rock. And I definitely don't think they would have just let me continue to sit in my chair yeah. <laughs> after I did it. Pretty lax security over there at the Oscars. I, I, my thing is, this, man, you had two choices. Choice number one was that you could allow the cringiest thing that happened that night was that Chris Rock told that joke about your wife. That was that was your first option. But you didn't go that way. Now the cringiest thing that happened is that you strode up there and slapped the guy. And man, could you imagine the movie magic that went into making Will Smith a passable version of Muhammad Ali or making us believe that he knocked out an alien with one punch? 
Now that we've seen the reality, he was, the he was a younger man. He was a much younger man when he when he knocked out that alien. In fairness, also the alien yourself. was dazed from the crash. I mean, come on, that's that's you, you, apples and oranges. It made yourself look like a goof. That's what happened. But you know what? You mentioned it on Twitter a little bit, and you're not wrong that when something like this happens, you can't come to people like us in the MMA sphere because we have developed an incredibly warped sense of what is appropriate behavior We're when sick. it comes to physical confrontations we're in sick public. individuals every one of us we you like we see it and we're just like all right so he went with the open hand okay uh kind of boss rooting pancrase days like open hand palm strike kind of thing uh but you know what just just walked right in just took a straight on approach didn't take an angle uh nothing like that and you know Hey, good chin on Chris Rock, especially for a fellow his age, to, to take it and then still maintain his wits. And, and meanwhile, you you look up and you realize everybody else is looking at us like a bunch of psychos uh, because this is our natural take on this kind of thing. But, I mean, I'm just saying, Colby Covington, I didn't hear Chris Rock calling up the, the police afterwards trying to talk about his $90,000 timepiece. Yeah, yeah, you know? it was a... Uh... It's a different kind of a situation. Anyway, that will probably do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, or a concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, Ben, everyone expected Curtis Blades to go out there and try to wrestle against Chris Dawkins. We had ample reason to expect that, but it was not to be. He didn't need to wrestle, as it turned out. These guys went through a fairly even first round in the heavyweight main event of this UFC Fight Night event over there at the Nationwide Arena in Columbus, Ohio. Smack dab at the middle of the second round, though, Curtis Blades knocked Chris Dawkins into next week, followed him to the mat with some strikes, and forced a TKO referee stoppage just 17 seconds into the second stanza. He did some calling out on the mic when this thing was over. I don't know where you want to start with this one. We could talk about the fight a little bit. We could talk about the potential for an interim title fight, either against Cyril Gaon or Stipe Miocic. We could talk about Chris Chris Dawkins skittering to his second straight defeat here. Or we could talk about, uh, you know, Curtis Blades still being a relatively young man in this aged heavyweight division and how if he wants to, obviously there's no telling where his career will take him, but if he wants to, he's going to be around for a while. And he actually seems to have a pretty high ceiling considering uh, his peers and who may or may not enter or depart the division soon. What strikes you as most newsworthy here around this heavyweight main event? Well, I was curious about why his game plan seemed to be what it was. And he made some comments afterwards where he was like, you know, 
suggesting that he wanted to make a statement here. Yeah. That he knew everybody was expecting him to come in there and wrestle. And he knew that Chris Dawkins was expecting him to come in there and wrestle. And that he felt like that worked to his favor. And I think that he's probably pretty right about that. Because you could hear in Chris Dawkins' corner after the first round where his coach was like, he's going to go for the takedown now. Like everybody was, was thinking, okay, there's no way we get through a round without him committing to a takedown. And then we did. And then it's like, okay, it's coming now. He he's just he was trying to get your mind off of it by standing there with you. Get ready. The takedown's coming. And Curtis Blaze's take on that was, if you're worried about my takedowns while I'm standing there striking with you, that means that when we both throw punches, I'm going to get to mine first, which is exactly what happened here. Like He got caught. After he clipped Chris Dawkins, the punch that Dawkins threw kind of around the same time caught him. And But Curtis Blades landed first and landed hard. It was just yeah. a clean right hand that just got all of all of the target. And if that is true, if Curtis Blades has gotten to a point in his evolution as a fighter where he can use not only the takedown to wear on you when he needs to, but also... He forces you to respect and worry about the takedown enough that it opens up more of his striking and he can actually exploit that. Then that becomes a dangerous dude, man, because he is a big, athletically skilled heavyweight who is always in good shape. How many of those are there on the planet at any given time? Especially, you know, as you mentioned that some of them, some of the fellas who already fit that bill might be aging out a little bit. And so... If that is really what we're seeing him develop into at this point, and it's not just that that's what he can do against a guy like Chris Dawkins, who he has a pretty good size advantage over and has a pretty good wrestling advantage over. If he can do that to a lot of other people in the division as well, then Chris, Chris Curtis Blades is a problem. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's only lost to two guys, right? Yeah. Uh, Derek Lewis and Francis Ngannou, both of whom he did get knocked out by. Uh, but... You know, Francis Ngannou, we all know the story there. seems like he already has one foot out the door. Derek Lewis isn't going to be around forever. That's a guy who's flirted with retirement once already. And, you know, Curtis Blades may well end up at the top of the heap after those guys. Uh, It just kind of remains to be seen. And we know he can go out there and strike against Chris Dawkins, I guess. In in order to win the title, he's going to have to strike against some bigger, more powerful heavyweights. And that's that's where the challenge is going to lie, I guess. But like I said, at 31 years old, man, and all of the attributes that you mentioned around him, Curtis Blades can do this for a while longer. And I would think just based on athleticism, skill, and opportunity alone, you kind of got to like his chances uh, for at least being a title contender, getting himself into some title fights as we move forward here. And you got to mention him right up there in that class of Cyril Gaon, Stipe Miocic, uh, John Jones, if he ever actually decides to show up in the division, uh, Tai Tuivasa, Tom Aspinall, like he's right there with all those guys. And that's a, that's a whole lot of interesting fights for this guy to have. So this was a, uh, a big win for Curtis Blades. And he did in fact make the statement that he wanted to make. So, you know, more power to him for that. Well, then he shows up on the mic afterwards with some plans. Yeah. Some, some always plans good to have a plan and some thoughts about the future. Now, when he first said, hey, give me an interim title fight against Cyril Gaon, I was like, okay, see, Curtis Blades ain't no dummy. Yeah. Curtis Blades, when I, he, he he bought the pay-per-view. He saw Cyril Gaon go out there, get out-wrestled by Francis Ngannou, and he went, well, okay. If that guy can get out-wrestled by, by Big Franny, I could take that guy down and maul him. Absolutely maul the guy. 
Uh, plus, you know, he he was an interim champion not too long ago. His name's still in the mix. If Francis Ngannou isn't going to be around, let me get that fight. Let me get that fight against a guy who can't stop a double leg. Because I, I like my chances in that one. And I went, okay, yeah. And then, though, we start talking about Stipe, who is in the crowd, already making his way to the exit. You know, Stipe, his, Stipe is uh, a middle-aged dad like us. You know, he as soon as the event's over, he's like, all right, well, let's hurry up. Let's get to the car. Let's get out of here before the parking situation becomes an absolute mess. Yeah, let's see if the we, traffic. Let's see this if we guy's, can beat he's the traffic. He's already chugged a beer on camera. He's, he's out of there, man. Like, he's, yeah. he's got to go home, beat the traffic. Tuck it's late. In, get to yeah. bed. It, it, with the, every minute we stand here, the, the meter on the babysitter is just ticking away. Let's get out of here. Let's go home. Let's call it a night. And then has to realize Curtis Blaze is talking about him in there. Um, I, I mean, if I'm Stipe, I go, hey, hey, Curtis, I'm glad to see how, <laughs> how you done came up. I'm glad to see how everything's going well for you and everything. But I am not getting out of the bed for anything less than a John Jones fight at this particular moment, unless somebody's going to put a belt on the line. So, you know what? Good for you. Good performance. Uh, travel home safe. I'm not doing it. Yeah. Uh, what about Chris Dacus here, man? Like, I hate to... This is two two losses in a row for this guy, uh, Derek Lewis and now Curtis Blades. I hate to suggest this kind of stuff because we don't like to do it. We talk about it at the fight as the fighter's false friend. But I see that dude out there, man. That dude looks like a light heavyweight to me. He's a big dude, but he's carrying a little spare tire around the the, the middle. Obviously, Curtis Blades has a a high level wrestling pedigree, uh, and so you know the, those dudes it's can be hard to com- compete with them physically, especially with the lower body strength. But like he just kind of looked like a stick figure out yeah. there. Curtis Blades just much bigger and yeah. you know, and Curtis Blades like a two hundred and sixty pound heavyweight man. And then Chris Dawkins goes what in the two thirties? Yeah. That's that's a tough place to be. It just at seems like if you could do it, if you're Chris Dawkins and you could do it, if you could get to two oh five, if you could make weight at two oh five and not murder yourself, seems like you might want to think about it if 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 it was me. I don't know. Do you think that his his fortunes really improve at light heavyweight, or does he just face better athletes? Hard to know, really. Uh, you know, he's going to obviously face different a different speed situation, probably different, slightly different game plans at that weight. Uh, cardio wise, he would have to probably be a little better. But I mean, he's not getting it done so far against uh, the the top level heavyweight guys he's fought, and he doesn't physically look the same as those guys as far as I'm concerned. But he is also uh, a halfway fun guy. So, you know, you could throw Chris Dawkins out there against any number of sluggers, and I would probably watch the fight. So things aren't completely bleak for him at this point. But if you want to wear the gold, you want to become a contender, heavyweight seems like there's a roadblock there, man. And uh, he might want to think about something else. If I'm going to play Monday morning quarterback with Chris Dawkins' choices here, the thing I'm going to do is say it was a mistake to take this fight so soon after getting knocked out by Derek Lewis. Yeah. Because it's tough. Like he was fighting sort of mid-level heavyweight guys. You know, he fights Parker Porter, Rodrigo Nascimento, Alexia Linux, starts to get serious, Shamil Abdurahimov. Uh, but then he fights Derek Lewis, who, you know, and this is fighting a a good version of Derek Lewis at this point, who is experienced and patient, but can still knock your head clean off. And you get knocked all the way out by that guy in December. And like a little over three months later, you come back and face Curtis fucking Blades. That's tough, man. 
That is a lot to ask of a guy. Like just, it's tough to ask him to be back in the gym and training well enough to get in shape for a, a Curtis Blades fight that quickly after a, a bad knockout loss. Like you should take some time after that one. I think that the mistake here was trying to get back in there too quickly because now all of a sudden you got two losses in a row rather than taking a little more time to to get everything straight before you go into a fight like this. Yeah. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then uh, we will move on to round number two. Ben, I actually have to credit perennial MMA journalist of the year, Suzanne Davis, uh, for the find here on my Are You Fucking Kidding Me? But uh, she posted a screenshot of this tweet. I had to go check it out to, to, to make sure it was the real deal, and it does appear to be so. Uh, remember uh, Cathal Pendred? Yes. Irish guy? Uh, yep. had a had a couple fights in the UFC when the Irish were weren't here to take part they were here to take over mm-hmm. uh but then he he retired fairly young he posted a tweet this week's picture of him uh wearing a graduation cap and gown with what appears to be his parents and he says delighted to have graduated this weekend with an MSc which i can only assume is a master's degree uh in climate change from the DCU when it comes to preserving our environment, we need to do better and we can do better. And that's what motivated me to take on this course. So this week for me, the rare positive, are you fucking kidding me? This seems great. Cathal, Cathal Pendred uh, retires from, from mixed martial arts competition. I believe he still coaches and trains over there in Ireland, but uh, goes out there, gets himself an advanced degree trying to save the world from climate change. Hell yeah, man. That's awesome. Congratulations to him. You fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? How about that? Well, Chad, my are you fucking kidding me? So, GSP was over there. I believe he was talking to MMA fighting here. And is laying out, as he sometimes will, now that he is in his elder statesman retired from the sport mode, he lays out sort of a blueprint for, for younger fighters. Tells Uh-oh. them what a lot of guys do wrong is that instead of retiring on top, they stay too long and let the sport retire them. And it limits their options after fighting. And that if you retire on your own terms when you're on top, even if you feel like you're leaving some money on the table, which he felt like he might have done, you have more opportunities outside of the sport in which you will make that money back and and possibly even more. He's He's not necessarily wrong about that. But are you fucking kidding me, George? You're going to give advice to other fighters that starts with assuming they are making their decisions from on top the sport like you did? Because shit, man, if I was going to give advice to fighters, my first advice would be get to the top. Win all the fucking fights, man. That's step one. That's just the first thing you want to do. Step two, be good looking. Uh, Three, be extremely marketable. Four, make a bunch of goddamn money. Yeah, you're right. Then you do have a lot of good options. You, you, It's honestly hard to fuck it up at that point. Plenty of people do fuck it up. But are you fucking kidding me? George, buddy, you realize this advice is mostly helpful for other George St. Pierre's. Yeah. It is not that helpful for like the number 12th ranked middleweight who is 10 years into his career. You know, got a got a metal plate in his hand, shit like that. Thinking about what to do with the thirty and thirty he's gonna make for fighting on the next fight night. You fucking kidding me, George? Fucking kidding me. 
you know, George Zambier has a pattern of this, though. This is not the first yes. time we have heard him dispense career advice for other fighters that sounds suspiciously like basically uh be george st pierre is his yeah. advice to others yeah so he's he's doing the mma version of like paris hilton showing up in the shirt that says stop being poor like you're not wrong george those are all good ideas but also maybe you should realize that it's just not going to work for everybody the same way it worked for you yeah. You know what I think would be a great idea? My, my advice to you, be in the corner, be like, mm, let's win all these fights. Yeah, could you let's just, just be not lose an any. incredible athlete, like a once-in-a-generation athlete mm-hmm. that has a, not only a, a really high fight IQ, but also an incredibly well-rounded skill set and one of the only athletic capabilities who, that makes him capable of pulling it off? Yeah. that's what I would advise you to do. My tip here is to be one of the most dominant fighters of your generation. Yeah fucking kidding me all right let's go ahead and uh we will get started with round number two well chad the situation that we initially thought we understood as it relates to Chael Sonnen and his legal troubles in Las Vegas has been, let's say, turned upside down by, as you put it, new shit coming to light. Because the Las Vegas Review Journal had a story out, I believe, on Friday uh, where they quote extensively uh, Julie and Christopher Stelfluke, Stelfluke, uh, who... Uh, now, I believe, are suing Chael Sonnen uh, and say that they were attacked while walking down the hallway without provocation. And that is a completely different version of events. And in fact, seems like they are motivated to come forward with their story by this other version of events, which makes you think maybe in retrospect, <laughs> all of us should not have let Brendan Shaw be our main source on this initial story because he was the one who first came out and said, hey, the real thing that happened here with Chael Sonnen was these guys were talking a bunch of shit to Chael Sonnen's wife, uh, you know, being completely out of line. And then he tracks them down in the hotel hallway and gives them what fur. And instead, what the version of events here laid out in the Las Vegas Review Journal by Christopher and Julie Stelflug suggests that they were walking along the hallway talking about what to eat for dinner. Uh, had never encountered Chelsea before this moment. He's standing there in the hallway. Uh, it says, quote, it was about 7.30 p.m. on December 18th when they saw a man in the hallway who appeared to be intoxicated, quote, uttering unintelligible noises. The man, whom police later identified as Sonnen, was barefoot and wearing a torn, bloody shirt around his neck. Uh, and then as they walk past them, uh, they say he knocked a drink out of uh, Christopher Stelflug's hand, quote, without provocation or any communication whatsoever. Uh, and then it's on. Yeah. And that is, for one thing, it's very different than the initial story. Like, very different. Also seems like maybe some stuff had already been going on with Chael Sonnen, and they happened upon it already in progress. Yeah. I mean, I believe Brendan Schaub's line here was play stupid games, win stupid prizes when the original thing happened. 
And speaking of what I said earlier on, making yourself look like a goof, maybe we all kind of made ourselves look like goofs here when we let Brendan Schaub set the narrative for this thing. And perhaps it turns out that the stupid prize was believing Brendan Schaub's account. Now, it is possible just because uh, of the... the, you know, the sequence of events that you just described. And as you said it, perhaps there was a situation regarding someone saying some stuff about Chael Sonnen's wife, and perhaps that got physical. And that explains his general appearance when these other people happened upon them. And that this was some like spillover violence, whether or not Chael Sonnen thought that these people were part of that group or whether or not he was too intoxicated to know any different. Uh, All of this, I guess, assuming that these people's account is real and true. But at the same time, the account that they give the Las Vegas Review Journal here is detailed and believable. And when you read it, it doesn't come off as something people made up. And then you look into these people a little bit more and uh, they are successful dentists, right? Like the guy is like a a pretty successful uh, professional dentist person from California who doesn't seem... A, like he would be out here. I mean, we don't know the content of their character. Maybe he's a complete a-hole, but he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would be out here drunk in Vegas with his wife talking shit about Chael Sonnen's wife. And he doesn't seem, they don't seem like the kind of people that would just be making this up for money. Like they don't, they don't probably need to sue Chael Sonnen. They're coming out kind of seemingly as a last resort after uh, many of us, us included, have swallowed the Brendan Schaub narrative of events here. Uh, and if all of this is true, it's just fucking bad, man. And it's a, the, like the first time that I can recall since he has gotten super MMA famous that Chael Sonnen has committed a violent crime, obviously, allegedly, I guess, but he has, he committed other crimes revolving around his real estate business. But like, this is out of character for him in terms of like committing violence against someone else, allegedly. And, uh, it's a harrowing incident to say the least as described by these two civilians. Yeah. Uh, they mentioned in the Las Vegas Review Journal, Brendan Schaub and his comments on the podcast where he says some drunk guy with his girl kept making comments about, uh, meaning Sonnen's wife, saying about her body parts right in front of him, well, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Um, and then this Christopher Stelflug, this dentist, this 48-year-old dentist from San Luis Obispo says, hearing the comments on made on the podcast made him angry and he wants the truth out there. I just want people to know it was a totally unprovoked attack. He said, we were just walking to our room to plan a sushi dinner. We did nothing wrong and this guy went on a crazy rampage. And so kind of seems like he is motivated to come out and tell this story in part as response to Brendan Schaub setting that narrative. Uh, and you can understand why. And the whole thing... Uh, the the version laid out in this Las Vegas Review Journal story is bizarre, honestly, because it also includes the the police uh, talking to uh, Son- Son- Chael Sonnen's wife Brittany and saying that she had taken Ambien at about 4 p.m. on December 18th and woke up as security guards were escorting her out of the room. Uh, the report states an officer who authored a report indicated that Brittany Sonnen was injured, but the officer did not elaborate on her injuries. Um, it just paints a strange story that you're you're taking Ambien at four o'clock in the afternoon in Las Vegas, and then you wake up with injuries, and meanwhile, chills out in the hallway fighting people with his shirt yeah. all ripped and bloody. And yeah, that's that's where it goes from. All right, you got us to believe it was Chelsonen delivering righteous vengeance on some people who had it coming. To maybe it was a lot weirder and worse than that. Yeah. Uh, 
And again, we don't know the the story behind any of this, but taking an Ambien at four o'clock in the afternoon when you're in Vegas and and crashing out uh, is not what I would consider to be normal behavior. And if you are doing that, it suggests maybe that something something bad had already happened. Or this is I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. Uh, but Chael Sonnen now faces a raft of charges around this, including a couple of felonies. Uh, one of them, as we mentioned on uh, last week's show for strangulation, which is a felony and an, a classic MMA fighter uh, crime to commit. And again, it's, you don't know what's, what's going to happen here in terms of like all of the legal stuff that's going on. But these charges were originally dismissed, I believe, by a, a judge, I think. And now they have been refiled by the by the district attorney. So they uh, they definitely think something happened that's worth pursuing here. Yeah. Uh, and frankly, it would be interesting to hear what we end up learning as uh, this all moves forward. Because there's also another guy saying, I mean, we, remember when we were first talking about it, we were like, man, is, is Chilson who's out here punching people who walk by in the hallway? Uh, and one of these guys says, this is minutes before the couple walked into the hallway, a different hotel guest was punched. The guest told police he left his room and was, quote, randomly struck in the jaw before he closed his room's door and called security, according to a copy of the Metropolitan Police Department incident report. Um, so yeah, I mean, maybe now we do need to return and say, look out the peephole before you open up your door in Las Vegas, see if Chelsea's out there. Yeah. In any week, in any case, that's going to do it for round number two. Uh, we will be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, one championship had itself a big-time event over there in Singapore over the weekend. Specifically interesting to us for a couple of reasons. Number one, as we talked about last week, Yoshihiro Akiyama was going to show up to fight Shinya Aoki. And that was an interesting turn of events for us, given that uh, Akiyama is 46 years old and... uh, you know, hadn't fought since 2020, was going to be making his return to the cage here. We wanted to see how that one turned out. And Demetrius Johnson uh, was going to be competing in a special mixed rules bout here against noted kickboxer Rod Tang Jimuan. You know, nailed it. Just gonna go Rod Tang. Going to go with Rod Tang from here on out uh, after first reference. And uh, now we have the results here. Yoshihiro Akiyama survives an early onslaught from Shinya Aoki climbed on his back, almost choked him out, but uh, gets the TKO stoppage in the second round, just shy of two minutes in, in what is being called Japanese MMA legends fight. So there you go there. Uh, and Demetrius Johnson choked out Rod Tang also in the second round, survived the uh, Muay Thai rules round, got himself into the MMA rules round, took him down, choked him out, rear naked choke. So we got a couple of interesting outcomes here. Let's start with uh, Sexy Yama, older than either of us, which is not typical when it no. comes to professional athletes and outcomes. But he goes out there 46 years old, obviously with a big weight advantage and all that, but still gets the uh, TKO victory over Aoki here. Older than us, also sexier than us. Okay, and I, yeah, it, it brings yes. me no joy to say that, but it's the simple truth. It is That is the truth. He's, he's still uh, quite well put together out yeah. there in a way that might make you question 
who his doctor is. Uh, but yeah. Okay. See, that's, that's sour grapes. I said he was sexier than you and you just, you couldn't stand that. Could you, you had to, and you know what? It's not just the physique that, that he he brings a certain just debonair quality. He really does. We talked about it on the Friday's power hour about how in the ad for this, for one thing, they made him look 70 years old in the ad, but they also made him look like just a distinguished corporate executive who was about to go out there and get into a damn fist fight. And, you know, it did not look great for him early on. You get Shinya Aoki up there on your back, usually that's going to be all she wrote. But just stayed calm. That's just the, that's the years. That's the yeah. years and the experience and the maturity of an older gentleman in that situation. He's going to stay calm, take his time, uh, then turns it around round two and once he sort of it was a strange reaction to me a little bit from Shinya Aoki because it was like once he goes down on all fours I don't know if he took a shot there or something that I didn't quite see but it was like he was just kind of slow to react and Akiyama who had you know maybe not looked terribly fleet afoot up to that point jumped on it just yeah. saw that one opening and that was all he needed he just poured it on and just absolute jackhammer fist to Shinyaoki's face as he struggles to get up yeah need him in the face too in case you needed a reminder where we were at for this <laughs> always a little bit of a you know stark reminder if you're used to watching the unified rules over here in America all this all of a sudden some guy sitting on his backside gets need right in his face and you remember oh wait yeah, we are doing do an that. international thing here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it did look like Shinji Aoki got tagged real hard in the face and kind of shut down. He was just kind of like, okay, that's it for me. And then it was sort of a slow build to the actual stoppage, but uh, but it was sort of a, a an odd sequence of events there. But You uh, want to talk about a, a real disparity in professional records, though, uh, looking at the topology page anyway. Shinji Aoki, with the loss, uh, his record falls to 47 and 10. While Akiyama is somehow 16 and 7. How is it that Akiyama is only 16 and 7? Like, feels like I've just personally watched more fights of his than that. Yeah. I mean, maybe it just had that big of an impact on you. Yeah, that's true. Because of the sexiness, I'm because sure. Because of the sexiness, yeah. Uh, let's talk about the Rod Tang Demetrius Johnson fight here as well. Of course, this was a uh, one of these kind of weirds mobiles that you can get into over there in one. They were they did a, a three minute round of uh, striking only Muay Thai rules, and then a three minute round what was to be I believe a three minute round of MMA rules. Had there been a third, my my understanding is they would have gone back to uh, the striking rules, but Demetrius Johnson did not allow that. And you know what? You start talking about these things, they sound a little janky with the special rules and all that, not quite sure what to expect. I actually found this to be more compelling than I thought I would when I watched it. First of all, because Demetrius Johnson, he's not just out there avoiding the guy during the the striking round. He did some, you know, staying on his bicycle, kind of making sure that he was either all the way in or all the way out uh, so that Rod Tang couldn't just tee off on him. But like he engaged during the striking round and had some real success on the feet. And then of course you get into the MMA round and it's kind of academic drags the guy to the ground, gets on his back. Got to give Rod tanks and credit for, for some sub defense, but ultimately just chokes the dude unconscious. And uh, like I said, at the top of the show, I know Demetrius Johnson, he's been, especially for American fans, maybe off the radar for a little while since, since the, the, the landmark trade, uh, 
where where Ben Askren came over to the UFC and yeah. Demetrius Johnson went over to one. He's had you know some losses. He hasn't necessarily been at the top of of the world uh, rankings or the discussion. But you watch this dude perform, man, especially in a fight like this where he spends the first three minutes in a discipline that is not his primary thing and then goes out in the second and gets the win. He's just really, really, really fucking good. Yeah, well, I think the the mixed rules bouts, it's interesting for the novelty of it and just that it allows us to do some sort of fun stuff and make some matchups that otherwise we wouldn't normally make. But doesn't it also seem like it is more tilted toward a, a really good, well-rounded MMA fighter like uh, Demetrius Johnson than it initially seems? Because you mentioned like he did not go out there and just try to to survive. Uh, the, but like still, you got to go out there really and get rid of him in the first round. If if you want to stand a good chance, that's that's what you got to do. Because otherwise, if you get into a situation where he gets even one takedown, which is all he got, which is all he really needed, then you're screwed. Because he's just going to be so much better at that part of it than you are. And what are you going to do? Like he, it's way easier for him to just sort of get you into a grappling exchange and one thing leads to another step by step. He can kind of systematically finish the fight. Whereas the guy who is the striking specialist has to tag him just right, or at least has to get him in trouble and not let him off the hook in a, an area where Demetrius Johnson is also pretty good. Like he's not going to be as good at pure Muay Thai as you are, but he's going to be good enough and good enough and smart enough and experienced enough that it's not going to be that easy to just tag him with a perfect shot on the button. And you could see Demetrius Johnson at some points in there, like almost reflexively when he was going for a clinch to try to, you know, chew up some of that time. He at one point looked like he was like reaching for the legs and you could tell it like his body was just thinking takedown. He had to yeah. be like, oh, no, can't, can't do it. I'm not supposed to do that yet. Got to wait until next round. But it's it's a lot harder, I think, on the striking specialist because you got to get him out of there in that first round. Uh, and you could see just the, the nature of the the movement in the cage change right away when you get into that second round, because you've got to worry about the takedown. And all it took was Rod Dang just throwing one punch uh, where Demetrius Johnson changed levels, timed it perfectly, got him down there. And that guy's just still really good, man. He's going to eat you up down there. It's just yeah. exactly what happened. It got me wondering though, about the trade, you know, the, the, the Demetrius Johnson for Ben Askren kind of trade. And, yeah, you know, I get, we should probably be putting that in quotes, right? Not trade. a pure trade, but an exchange of sorts that allowed one to go one place, one to go to the other place. And I still wonder, like, it's easy now to be like, look, at Demetrius Johnson, who is still out here, still good, still an attraction for one, especially to this audience, because you, you face a barrier when you're trying to get the North American audience to tune in at a, at a weird time to watch your show. And, you know, as much as, as, as exciting as a fight is like Angela Lee and Stamp Fairtex, it's not going to get the crowd from over here the same way that Demetrius Johnson in a mixed rules bout will. But... Do you think that that alone makes it not a good trade or a good exchange for the UFC? Because you can look at it and be like, say the UFC, what'd you get? You got a washed up Ben Askren who barely lasted any time for you and then went and got himself knocked out by a YouTuber. Meanwhile, they got Demetrius Johnson who was still out there doing the damn thing and still really good for them. But do you think the UFC looks at it and goes, uh, 
We weren't ever really that excited about Tobias Johnson and flyweight and what was going on there to begin with. And at least with the Ben Askren thing, we parlayed it into the, uh, uh, the blip of Jorge Masvidal. And so we, we sort of played it forward in a way that is, was still lucrative enough to us to make it worth it. I mean, it is somewhat interesting to think about an alternate universe where Demetrius Johnson is still kicking around the UFC flyweight division since we're doing Brandon Moreno and Davidson Figueredo a thousand times. But I think the UFC probably is happy with it. They didn't uh, creative had nothing for him to borrow a phrase from pro wrestling that didn't seem like they had any big plans regarding Demetrius Johnson after he, the Henry Cejudo loss. And I think that like you said it, like, I think the thing that they would point to was like, Hey man, we got a Jorge Masvidal in kind of a roundabout way out of this deal as a guy who, who, if all of the reportage is true, was a pretty big star and, and where he goes from here, obviously we don't know because he's charged with a couple of crimes and got, got busy <laughs> outside the poppy steak. But, uh, but for a while, like he seemed like he, the UFC got some big fights out of him. They probably did better on that than they did with anything Demetrius Johnson would have done. And I'm sure that's that's what they would point to. Now, the 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 fight fan in me is kind of like, man, it would be kind of cool to still have Demetrius Johnson hanging around at 125 pounds. But you know, it's it's, uh, it's it was not to be, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess it just tells you something about why the the fight world, the fight business is different than other sports. And that you could look at it and be like, did the UFC get the better athlete and the better fighter uh, in that deal? No, absolutely not. They they did not. That, that I think, is completely clear. This, that Demetrius Johnson was still a better fighter who had more left in his career by far than Ben Askren was at the time that they swapped places. However... Does that alone mean it wasn't a good deal for them? Not necessarily, because all you're judging by is the bottom line. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and do Just Saying Stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, what is your Just Saying Stuff? Well, Chad, speaking of Jorge Masvidal getting busy outside the poppy steak, I see these stories popping up all over the internet today. I see one on Middle Easy. I I see one over here on Sports Kita, uh, where... These guys, the the Nelk Boys podcast thing, which it seems like I only recently learned about, and then now I keep seeing it pop up all over the place. One of these guys claims that one of the other guys on the podcast set Colby Covington up when they were all out for dinner at the Poppy Steak. Says, uh, here's a quote here. Um, This is from Kyle Forgeard. I'm sure I'm nailing it. Who said, just a little disclaimer for all the UFC fans. I know you guys saw what happened with the whole restaurant thing with Colby and Masvidal. Bob Maneri actually set Colby up. So I did see him texting Masvidal while we were at dinner with Colby. So now that I think about it, something isn't really adding up. I don't know. I think Bob set him up. Now, the comments Wait, afterwards. Though, is this, that's his, his partner? Yeah. I believe that they're, they're podcasting bros. Now, the the other guy, Bob, replies later on, says, had some good laughs until everything went down, sucked, ruined the vibe, and no, we did not set Colby up. Kyle is a dick, LOL. Basically saying, hey, he's just joking around, claiming that I was the one who tipped off Jorge Masvidal, who Colby Covington can be heard asking, how did he, he how did I even know I was here? Yeah. Uh, so he was obviously wondering about that, and he's saying, hey, no, he's just joking when he said that I tipped off Jorge Masvidal. So this week, Chad, I'm just saying, If there's ever a situation where you think that maybe I tipped off one fighter to come and ambush another fighter, 
maybe you just think it would be funny to joke about that. Just put that out there that, hey, what if Ben had tipped off somebody to come over here and ambush this guy and and assault this pro fighter? I'm just saying to you, keep that shit to yourself. Whether you think I did it or whether you think it'd just be funny to joke that I did it, I'll fucking kill you. You put me in that situation. You put it out there that maybe I'm responsible, that maybe I I set up a pro fighter to get assaulted by another pro fighter. You put me in those crosshairs. We're not going to be friends after that. I'm just yeah. saying. I don't care if you're joking or not. Just saying. Who would just you saying. say is your biggest enemy in mixed martial <laughs> arts? Because I know your whereabouts right now, and uh, I could just start texting people. Ben is at home. I mean, you could text people Ben is at home at kind of any point throughout any day, and you got like a 95% chance of being right. Yeah. Uh, it's just, I joking about it erroneously is way more of a Ben Folks move, though. That's like something you would do. Like, I wouldn't do that to you. You would definitely do it to me. I mean, there is there is a non-zero chance that one of these days I'm going to make a joke about something you did and the Secret Service is going to show up at your door. <laughs> and you're going to have to be like, hey, look, we it's just the kind of friendship we have, man. You know? Yeah. For real, though, what a crew of backstabbing motherfuckers this is, right? Like one guy might have ratted out Colby Covington and then his buddy rats him out. And it's, Jesus. So it's I don't go to dinner with podcasters, man. That's what I've always said. Don't go Get to your shit to go. Eat it at home in front of the TV watching The Sopranos like a normal person. Just saying. Just saying. Well, Ben, sometimes I feel a little bit disconnected from the MMA news cycle. I think people who listened to this show for a long time, know that about me. And one of them happened this weekend when uh, I started to see this news break all over my timeline that uh, Sean Strickland and Alex Pereira are targeted for a middleweight contender fight at UFC 277, which will be July 30th. I believe that event is going down in Anaheim. And I started to see all the websites be like, massive fight announcement, big time contender bout. Things are heating up for the summer. Huge news in Sean Strickland versus Alex Pereira. And I'm out here looking at this fight just being like, I love Lucy Shrug gif, I guess. <laughs> like, I mean, if that's the best we can do, sure. Yeah, let's do it. Let's find a guy who might fight Israel Adesanya at some point. But like, don't ask me to get excited. I'm not I'm not going to get excited about this thing. These guys going to go out there and... and uh, circle around to a 15 minute decision. I'm not, it's not, not lighting the fire over this all caps, massive. I don't know, man. It's just a little bit. This is, this is what we're doing now. huh? What I hear is you saying that, uh, you're not going to be taken in by this Sean Strickland business anymore until he actually goes out there and looks like he is the psychopath. He wants us to believe he is. I, and the other guys had like two fights in the UFC. So I love Lucy shrug gif. I guess. Just saying. Just saying. That's going to do it for the co-main event podcast this week. Remember, we'll be back on the Patreon all week. Wednesday, live chat. Thursday, doing the damn thing. Friday, power hour. We have a patronage tier for all budgets. $1 a month gets you in the door for the live chat, which is ridiculous. We should probably jack the price up on that because that's just stupid. Uh, So join us over there for that. We have a lot of fun. As for right now, though, thanks for listening, everybody. We are done. Hey, I just 
real quick, just texted Chael Sonnen to tell him that you were saying some stuff about his wife's anatomy. I hope that that was, I hope that that was not a mistake on my part. Just thought that you should know. Don't worry, I'll follow up in 18 hours to let him know I was just joking. I'm, I'm just over here trying to plan a sushi dinner, minding my own business. Next thing you know, charging the guy with 11 phones. See, that's also a thing that I could say at any time and have a good chance of being right. Chad is planning a sushi dinner. Yeah, you know what? When, you, when you're right, you're right. I'm not going to argue.